Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. For the month of October, I will be turning back the clocks and sharing some of my favorite episodes from the last four years that inspire a message of faith, hope, and love. On episode 195, we revisit episode 112 with Dr. Gary Chapman. Today is all about love and what better episode to pick out the archives than this with Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of the best-selling The Five Love Languages series, which has sold more than 20 million copies worldwide and translated into 50 languages. Dr. Chapman travels the world presenting seminars on marriage, family and relationship. His radio programs air on more than 400 stations. The Five Love Languages has been a powerful tool in my own journey, my own marriage and relationships, as well as those that I've been able to support through Always Better Than Yesterday. I highly recommend finding your love language. If you haven't yet, head to fivelovelanguages.com forward slash quizzes. You can find the link within the show notes. Go ahead, go and discover your love language. I promise you the insights will be priceless. And then go and share that with everybody in your life too, so that you can learn how to love people in a way that leaves people feeling loved. Yes, that's going to be one of the great insights that you're going to hear from Dr. Gary in a very short moment. I hope this episode inspires you. I hope it captures your heart and your imagination. And I hope and encourage you to share this with one person whose love you wish to inspire to. Here we go. Let's revisit episode 112 with Dr. Gary Chapman. Dr. Gary Chapman, it is such an honor and a privilege to have you on the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you? Well, Ryan, I'm doing well, and I hope you are. Uh, It's been a a difficult year last year in many ways, but uh, I'm alive and feeling well. Good to be with you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And it's uh, it's not every day you get to spend company with someone that's wrote a book that's been uh, read by 14 million people, almost 14 million people. I'd just love to know about your your book, The Five Love Languages, and just, just some of the origins, really. Take us back to working through this, this concept of, of the love languages. Well, Ryan, I've been counselling couples for... Uh over 40 years now. And uh, a number of years ago, uh, uh, I remember the first time it dawned on me that what makes one person feel loved does not make another person feel loved. Uh, They were in my office, uh, had not met them before, the first appointment. And uh, the wife said to me, uh, Dr. Chapman, she said, uh, we don't argue. And she said, we don't have any money problems. She said, but the real problem is I just don't feel loved by my husband. I looked at him and he said, I don't understand that. He said, you know, I, I get home before she does in the afternoon. I start the evening meal and, it, and sometimes I have it ready when she gets home. He said, then I wash dishes 
On Thursday night, I vacuum the floors. Saturdays, I wash the car, mow the grass, help her with the laundry. I do all those things. And she tells me she doesn't feel loved. And he said, I don't know what else to do. I look back at her and she started crying. And she said, Dr. Chapman, he's right. He's a hardworking man, but we don't ever talk. <laughs> For 20 years, we haven't talked. So I knew here was a sincere husband mm -hmm. who loved his wife and a wife who didn't get it. And after that, I had similar stories over and over in my office. And I knew there had to be a pattern to it, but I didn't know what it was. So eventually I took time to sit down and read several years of notes that I made when I was counseling and asked myself when someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories. And I later called them the five love languages. And I started using that concept in my counseling. that if you want her to feel love, you've got to express love in her love language. If you want him to feel love, you've got to learn his love language. And I would help people discover their language and challenge them to go home and try it. And sometimes, Ryan, they would come back in three weeks and say, Gary, this is changing everything. The whole climate's different now. Mm -hmm. And then I started using it in small groups of couples and the same thing would happen. So probably five years later, I thought, you know, if I could put this concept in a book, write it in the language of the common person, leave out the psychological jargon, maybe I could help a lot of couples that I would never have time to see in my office. So that's how it happened. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea, of course, that as you just said, it would sell 14 million copies and be translated in over 50 <laughs> languages around the world. Uh, so, which really surprised me because my academic background before I studied counseling was anthropology, cultural anthropology. And I was sensitive to cultural differences. So I wasn't sure this would work in other cultures. But apparently these five things are rather fundamental to human nature, whatever the cultural differences. Mm, it's interesting you touch on that human nature point. Do you think that's why it's been so popular? You know, I think what's happened is uh, couples have read it. It's kind of like the lights came on. They realized what had mm -hmm. happened and how they were missing each other. And, and so they, they discovered each other's language. They started speaking it. The emotional climate changed. They, they really felt loved by each other. And then they wanted their brother and his wife, their sister and her husband. And they start giving it. It's just gone word of mouth, really, all over the world. Uh, so I think it's mm -hmm. because it meets that deep emotional need to feel loved. And if you're married, the person you would most like to love you is your spouse. You know, if you feel loved by your spouse, life is beautiful and you can handle all the other things in life much easier. If you don't feel loved, life begins to look dark and all the conflicts and problems become bigger in our minds. So I think that's why it's been so popular. It does speak to that deep human need to feel loved. I also want to thank you for helping validate me in my own marriage because um, my wife would often tell me that she loves me. And, and quite jokingly, there's a little joke where I'd say, oh, you know, give me three reasons why. And it'll be no secret to you that I found out that my love, primary love language would be words of affirmation. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Well, I wish Which, I'd known you know, all it, this in the early days of my marriage, but I didn't know all this. And uh, my wife and I struggled a lot in the early years of our marriage. But uh, 
you know, it, it's, it's helped us enhance our own marriage. And uh, mm. obviously, it saved, many people have said to me, it saved our marriage. I mean, really, we were thinking mm. divorce until we read the book. And it just really changed. It saved our marriage. Yeah, my wife and I, we, we, we speak different languages. And um, I come from a, a single parent family background where my mum would do everything. You know, she was uh, very independent. I've therefore become independent. But my wife um, was very much single child family uh, everything was done for her and her primary love language to feel loved is is acts of service and um i, I really love something you say is is that um sometimes the greatest show of love is to do what is most uncomfortable most difficult why is that the greatest act of love greatest show of love well i think you know when your own love language uh, that is the the one that's lowest for you but least important to you is the most important for your spouse. That's mm. when it's difficult because you can, it's, first of all, it's hard to conceive that that would be important to them because it's not important to you. And, and, and consequently, it doesn't come natural for you to speak that love language. So there is a learning curve uh, and it takes effort to learn, first of all, to keep it on the front burner of the mind and then secondly, to, to choose to do that, you know, uh, to speak their language. But here's the good news. You can learn to speak any one of these languages, even if you did not receive them as a child and have no experience in it. You can still learn to speak these languages because it's a matter of choice. You know, if I know that my wife's lovely, I, well, let me say this. I had a man say to me some time ago, he said, Gary, I read your book that my wife and I took the quiz and she tells me that her love language is acts of service. But I'll tell you and her, if it's <laughs> going to take my washing dishes and vacuuming floors for her to feel love, she can forget that. I said, well, that's your choice. If you want to live with a wife who has an empty love tank, that's your choice. I said, I much prefer to live with a wife who has a full love tank. I said, I know, I know what it is with both. For many years in our marriage, I lived with my wife with an empty love tank. And then I announced I live with her with a full, a full love tank. I much prefer the latter woman. I said, so my, my choice is that's my wife's love language as well. I said, so man, you know, give me the vacuum cleaner you know, give it, let, turn me loose on the dishes. It's a small price to pay to live with a happy woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's such a great story. And um, one of the things I really loved is almost a one-liner from the book that you imagine a world where children, they go into the world with this sense of curiosity and learning and discovery, not seeking the love that they didn't have as a child. And I think, you know, that, that has massive implications for when we grow up and we go into the workplace, we become leaders. And I reflect on my own journey. You know, in my early days, I absolutely was one of those kids showing up in the world in a full love. I, I call it leading for love, not from love. And I, you know, what are some of the impacts that you see of, of people that show up in the world leading for love? Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think what happens is that that we seek to use whatever our position is to meet our own need for love. In fact, there are people that read my book and come away with that same mentality. And they say to me, mm -hmm. well, I read my, we read the book and, 
you know, uh, we took the quiz and, and my wife's love language, she knows what my love language is, but she won't speak it. So what can I do to get her to speak my love language? So, so it's self-centered. It, it's, it's me. I, I, now I've got this new insight now on how you can make me feel loved. And that's where the emphasis is. And I say, I typically say, well, I think you need to turn, turn that around. Why don't you choose to love her and her love language and see what happens? Love stimulates love. So you love her in her love language, even if you don't feel loved. And you start touching her deeply, and she begins to sense your love for her. Your love will stimulate her love toward you. So rather than demanding that your spouse speak your love language, you don't get anywhere with that. But you use the information to communicate love to them. And you're, you're influencing them in the, in the most powerful way. Uh, we don't we don't love to get loved. Many people do, however. That's that it's, it's it's manipulation. I've had people say, "Doc Chapman, uh, I spoke my spouse's love language for three weeks and it didn't help." <laughs> I said, three weeks? Why don't you try three months?" You know. Yeah. <laughs> and I say, I say, okay. So you're telling me that you're trying to manipulate her <clears throat> to love you, and you tried this manipulation tool for three weeks and it didn't work. Well, I never thought of it that way, they say. <laughs> but I yeah, I, I think that's true. I think, and especially if we didn't feel love growing up, uh, that is a factor in, in our so much wanting to be loved. And when we hear something like the love languages, we think, oh, here, this is the, this is the answer. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let people know what makes me feel loved and they're going to love me. And rather than thinking, you know, wait a minute, I want to be an agent of love. Mm. If we become an agent of love, then we're going to impact other people in a positive way. And there'll be some of those people that will return that love, you know, and you, you, you'll feel loved in the workplace or in extended family, as well as in a mm. marriage. Hey friends, I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. I just wanted to let you know on the 24th of October, I will be welcoming 12 men to the Always Better Than Yesterday Good Fathers program. It is six weeks of online journeying with 12 good men. I really believe that if I can help good men become even better men, then better men will make better dads. It's been 10 years since I became a father and it has been the most fulfilling journey, but full of challenges and obstacles that I probably was under-equipped for. I didn't feel prepared for the sacrifice, the tiredness, the impact on our health, let alone what it means to be a good husband and a good teammate um, as we try and journey in becoming the best dad possible. These children don't come with guides and it just, for me, I, I felt like I, whilst I wanted to be the best dad I could possibly be, I've definitely felt a sense of winging it. And it doesn't seem to be conversations that men seem to have uh, about what it means to be a dad. So I've set up Good Fathers. It's the first program that I'm offering dedicated specifically to men, good men who want to become even better dads. Come and join us. We're starting on the 24th of October. Use the link in the show notes to come and read more about it. But first and foremost, this will be a safe space for men to explore their purpose as a father. It's going to contain a combination of coaching, learning, 
conversation and reflection. Each week we will follow a semi-structured topic of conversation. I'll support you with resources and prompts designed to facilitate a powerful, transformative experience. You will not only learn from me, but from each other and shared experiences. I do not have all the answers, but I will hope to create an environment and a space for you and and, and other good men to reflect and to create much more of an intentional style of parenting that will help you leave that legacy by becoming the best possible dad that you can be. If you know a good man that would benefit from this container, this time and space, please do share them the show notes. It's www.abty.co.uk forward slash good hyphen fathers. That's good fathers on our website. Here we go back to the conversation. Hmm. I um I, I saw one of your keynotes recently and like the opening line, it was uh, something along the lines of if you're not a loving person, you will not be a servant leader. What did you mean by that? Well, that grows out of my own uh, my own marriage, uh, because in the early days of, of our marriage, uh, we were really struggling. You know, we lost all those euphoric feelings, you know, of falling in love mm-hmm. that was all over. Our differences emerged and uh, we didn't know how to solve them because when you're in love, you don't think you're going to have any problems. (laughs) And uh, we didn't know how to solve them. So we ended up arguing with each other and I would, I would raise my voice at her and she had raised her voice at me and we would end up saying hateful things. And I remember one day when I finally just said, I said to God, I said, I don't know what else to do. I've done all I know to do and it's, it's not working. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to do. And uh, I was in graduate school in seminary uh, studying, you know, to be a, a pastor, a leader. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, man, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's no way I can get up and share with other people and, and, and be this miserable, you know. <laughs> and I said to God, I don't know what else to do. And as soon as I said that, there came to my mind a visual image of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. I'm sure you remember Mm -hmm. that story. Mm -hmm. And then he stood up and said to them, uh, I'm your leader. And in my kingdom, this is the way you lead. The leader Mm -hmm. serves. Mm -hmm. And I just heard God say to me, man, that you're not, you're not, you're not, you don't have the attitude of Christ. You're (laughs) not serving your wife. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because I know I knew it was right. My attitude was something like to her, you know, if you'll listen to me, we'll have a good marriage. You know, <laughs> she wouldn't listen to me. And so I just said to God, forgive me. With all of my study in Greek and Hebrew and theology, I've missed the whole point. Hmm. And I said, please give me the attitude of Christ toward my wife. And in retrospect, it's the greatest prayer I ever prayed about my marriage because mm. my heart changed. Mm. And I, I, three, three questions made it practical. And when I started asking these three questions to my wife, things began to change. They're simple questions. Number one is, honey, what could I do to help you? Mm-hmm. Number two, how can I make your life easier? Number three, how could I be a better husband to you? Mm. And my wife was willing to give me answers. <laughs> and I responded to those and served her. It didn't happen overnight, but within three months, my wife started asking me those three questions. 
Mm. And we've been walking this way for a long time now in which I've been reaching out to her and she's been reaching out yeah. to me. And it's the key. It's the key to it. It really is at the heart of love. Love is an mm. attitude that, that has, I want to enrich the lives of the people that I relate to. And mm. if I'm married, I want to enrich the life of my wife or my husband. If I have children, I want to enrich their lives. And, and then whomever I encounter throughout life, uh, the attitude of love is I, I want to, I want to do something that'll be helpful to them. Mm. So, uh, you know, so love, love has to have an attitude of service. That's at the very heart of what it's all about. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I, you know, <clears throat> I, I know that you, you have a, a book with um, a colleague of yours, uh, Dr. Paul White, and you talk about appreciation in the workplace. And, and I think 14 million copies of a book that talks about leading with love and yet our workplaces do not feel like loving cultures and loving environments. And, you know, I, I really believe that as a leader through servant leadership, through showing up with love and being able to lead from a position of love, that we have the ability as leaders to affect the love tanks of people in the workplace so that they go home better for those who need them. What's your perspective on, on that? I really believe that Ryan, um, you know, what motivated us to write that book is so many people in the workplace would say to me, I know you wrote your book for married couples, but I've been applying the concept at work and mm -hmm. it's really enhancing my relationships. And uh, someday you need to write a book on how this applies in the workplace. But when I encountered uh, Dr. Paul White, who is a psychologist who's had 20 years experience working with businesses, I really sensed he was the right man with whom I should write this book. So we did a lot of research uh, beforehand. Uh, one of the things we discovered is that in our country, 70% of the people who have a job say they feel little to no appreciation coming from the people with whom and for whom they work. Mm. That is huge. 64% mm. of the people who leave a job and go to another job say they left primarily because they didn't feel appreciated where they were. So we were highly motivated once we discovered that. So uh, before we ever wrote the book, uh, Dr. White would go into a, a business and he would share the concept. We call it uh, languages of appreciation mm -hmm. in the workplace rather than love because the work relationship mm -hmm. is different from the family relationship. Mm -hmm. But it's the same basic principle. People need to feel valued for who they are, that they're mm -hmm. not a cog in a machine. And so uh, he would share this concept and, and let all of them take what we call the MBA inventory, motivating mm -hmm. by appreciation inventory, and learn everyone's primary appreciation language and secondary, and then the one that's least important to them. And, and so everybody had every, this information. And then he would challenge them to apply it in the workplace. And I think he would send out every six weeks a little reminder just to keep it mm -hmm. on the front burner. And then a year later, he would go back and give a, a job satisfaction test. He gave a job satisfaction test to begin with. He would go back now and give another one. And in every uh, instance, it was statistically improved. So we hmm. knew this would help the workplace uh, when we wrote this book. And we've had a great response to it uh, where, where businesses or even segments of a business, just working partners here for a small part of a huge business, it really does change the uh, work atmosphere. Mm. And when people feel appreciated at work, 
they're more involved in, in, the, in the work process. They're, they're not just doing enough to get by. They're giving mm-hmm. their best because they feel appreciated. So it has huge implications for the workplace. Do you think leaders can uh, fake it? Do you think leaders can fake leading with this sense of love and appreciation? Well, you know what we discovered, Ryan, that many of the managers that we talked with would say to us, oh, I appreciate my people. Oh, I appreciate them. I mean, I tell them all the time how much I appreciate them. And we said, then you're reaching about 40% of your people because about 40% of them have words of affirmation as their primary appreciation language. But the other 60% probably aren't feeling appreciated. See, the whole idea is that appreciation has to be individualized. You can't just say that I, we, I really appreciate what you're doing and expect everybody feels appreciated. If, it, if this is your appreciation language as a leader, you probably think that they feel appreciated because you would if people told you that. Uh, and so the lights kind of come on for a lot of managers and business leaders when they realize that, uh, you know, maybe I'm not being as effective as I thought I was in expressing appreciation to my people. And, uh, but just imagine when you get this going in a workplace and people are talking about it. And, and one of the things we dealt with in that book is that when you start doing this, it's going to seem a little strange. You know, you're going to mm-hmm. feel a little, a little odd because you've never done it before. So we just said, admit it. You know, once you know the other person's appreciation language, you just say, you know, uh, th- this feels a little odd to me because I've never done this before. But uh, I know that your appreciation language is quality time. So I want to begin by just sitting down, if it's all right with you, and, and let's just have 10 minutes to start with. And you tell me about your family, your family, your history, just as much as you can in 10 minutes. I, I just want to get to know you. That's the first step in, in that person really feeling appreciated. And if you go back on a regular basis, whether it's every week or every two weeks or every three weeks, and just have a little quality time with them, talking about things other than business, and later you can talk about business, but then, then they, they feel what you're trying to communicate. You care about them. You know, you want to know about them. So, yeah. I love that. And um, in the book, you touch a little bit around how to lead with love and, and appreciation remotely. I'm not sure you imagined 2020 and 2021 being the way it was with that in mind. What are some of the practical ways that leaders can lead with love and appreciation uh, throughout the next year? Well, I think uh, all of us are learning new ways to communicate. Mm. (laughs) The very fact that you and I are doing this uh, would not have crossed our minds a couple of years ago. Uh, (laughs) uh, Probably would not have. Uh, so I think we're all learning how to communicate uh, long distance. Uh, and it, it, sometimes it is, uh, technology can be a real help in this. You know, I wrote a book for military folks, uh, for example, mm-hmm. on how do you communicate these love languages when you're deployed, you know, you're 2000 yeah. miles away. And we just went through each one of them and got ideas from military couples who were using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think the same principle is true in, in a business. Uh, maybe you don't see the person, maybe you're, you're working different sites or you don't see them mm-hmm. nearly as often. I know many of us aren't seeing as often now because we're working from home rather than working in the office. But I think if we know their language, we can still 
whether it's on the phone or whether it's on Zoom or whether it's on some other, uh, you know, uh, technical way of communicating, or if it's gifts, you know, you can send them a gift no, for no special reason, you know, not a special day. You're just thinking about you and want you to know I appreciate you, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. today I just got a box from uh, a, 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 a company, really, that I'd had some relationships with. And they sent me, uh, you know, uh, pears and, and some <laughs> candy. And, <laughs> and even nice. though gifts is not my primary language, but I, man, they were thinking about me. Look at this, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so there are ways of speaking all of these languages uh, if you're not working, you know, face-to-face with, with people. And uh, just a little, uh, little creativity will help you do that. Hmm. Uh, inevitably at work in churches in the home or in our um, neighboring communities we always come across the unlovely Mm. how do we lead the unlovely well you know i think uh, i think first of all we have to ask why is it that i'm not attracted to that person (laughs) why do they kind of turn me off Uh, maybe it's personality you know, maybe they talk so loud that everybody can hear them and <laughs> this irritates you to death. Uh, or maybe they talk so softly that you have to lean in to hear them, you know. It, it, it can be personality traits that irritate you. Uh, but, but if they're not getting the job done, uh, the first question is why? Rather than just say, I'm going to fire them because they're not getting the job done. What are we trying to find out why, you know? I remember one, uh, one manager said to us, she said, uh, I had an assistant, administrative assistant, that just really wasn't hacking it. I mean, she just wasn't getting the job done. And I complained to my husband about it once or twice. And, and then I told him, I said, I'm just going to fire her. I mean, I can't live with this. And he said, well, honey, before you fire her, why don't you sit down and see what's going on in her life? Maybe there's a reason. And so she did. And she found out that the lady had a teenage son who was on drugs and she was totally frustrated and didn't know mm. what to do, very depressed and discouraged. Mm. And when the manager found that out, she said, well, let, let's, let me help you find a treatment center. You know, let, let me help you here. And she did and got the teenager help. And within six weeks, I mean, their friendship had just gone up in levels. And, and the administrative assistant was involved now, fully involved. Uh, because she she felt appreciated. Here was a manager who was wanting to jump in the boat with her and help her with whatever she was going through. So uh, we try to find out what's going on and why uh, this person is to us an unlovely person. Sometimes they need more training. We mm. think they know, and sometimes we don't. And sometimes we don't we don't really know their job. I remember a, a, a supervisor who said to a manager about an employee under their uh, wings. He said you need to fire that guy. Every time I see him, he's walking out in the hallway. All he does is walk. And the manager said, well, sir, uh, he's one of our tech people. And he's responding to people who have technical problems with their computers. And, and he, he, he is in the hall a lot, but he's, he's doing his job and doing a really good job. Oh, oh, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's funny. So information about why... Yeah. What's behind the unloveliness of the person 
you know, often can help you be an agent of loving them and helping them deal with whatever the problem is. Mm, yeah, thank you for that. There's um, uh, a flip side to love, and, and that is fear. You know, the good book talks about light and dark, love and fear. And I think um, fear is a tool that uh, managers have used for a long time <clears throat> to coerce, to control, to uh, get performance out of people. How do we start to bring light to fear and a bit more love to the workplace? Well, I think when that becomes the primary motivating tool of the manager, it becomes a toxic workplace. Mm. And people are doing enough to get by and they're trying to stay out of the manager's way. And they're, when they are with them, they try to put on a front, uh, but it's a toxic workplace and they're not happy about going to work every day. They're going because that's the only job they have and they have to mm -hmm. have to have funds, uh, but it's a toxic workplace. And, you know, sometimes uh, you can sit down and talk with a leader and just kind of give them your perspective on how they, how they come across you know, and some leaders will be open to hear that and others will not. Uh, we, can't, we can't make them have a positive response to constructive criticism. Mm. Uh, but the managers who will heed that and begin to listen to what other, and ask questions of other, other employees, you know, how do you feel when I, for example, last week when I did, you know, how did you feel about that? How did it make you feel? They'll find out that their people are hurting and their people aren't motivated by, by that mm -hmm. method of leadership and, and they can change. Uh, so I say to, to leaders, you know, be open to what your people are telling you because they're giving you valuable information. But ultimately, if they don't change, most people will eventually, they'll complain to their fellow employees about it. And then they'll start looking for another job. And then as soon as they find something, they'll leave because mm. they don't want to spend the rest of their life living in a toxic workplace. Mm. And, I, and I think the three questions you asked your wife around, how can I help? How can I make your life easier? And how can I be a better husband? If we have more leaders asking those questions of their people, I, I think, you know, we'd see, we'd see a massive change. Yeah, a massive change. I think change. you're right. I talked with a president of a company, it was a manufacturing company, and he had about 300 employees. He said, Gary, every year, I sit down with them in groups of 10 and I say to them, give me your ideas on what would make this a better workplace or ideas on how we can do things better. He said, some of my best ideas have come out of those sessions. Mm. See, m many people aren't going to walk up to a president and say, here's what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> but if that president is open and is asking, for ideas on how things could be better around here. What, how could we do things better? How could I make it a better, how could we make it a better workplace? When people feel safe, they'll, they'll share their ideas and you will get some good ideas. Mm. And then as a leader, you've got the benefit of the feedback of the people that are working with you and for you. So uh, being open to, to feedback from people uh, is, a, is, a, is a sign of a good leader from my perspective. We don't have to know everything as a leader. Yeah. If there are people that, we, that are working under our supervision and they know more about whatever it is than we do, we need to, we need to learn from them, you know, and then mm. affirm them for what they're doing. You, you don't have to know everything to be a good leader. You, you have to be open to learning how, how, 
how best to help people feel appreciated so that they're motivated to, to invest their skills and their abilities. Mm. You talked about um, Christ-like leadership and uh, an influence on you and your own life. What are some of the most profound leadership takeaways that you've taken from Jesus? You know, I think the number one is to have an attitude of service, which we've already talked about. Mm. Uh, I think another is affirming people's worth. Uh, and that's mm. where this appreciation thing comes in. Uh, because all of us want to feel that the people with whom we relate and with whom we work with appreciate us for who we are. Mm. That they're not just using us to, to make a profit or to produce something. Uh, obviously, that's important in business. We have to make a profit to stay in business. But we don't want to feel like we're just being used and that eventually when, when we're not being, when they, when they don't need us, they'll just kick us out. Mm. Uh, but but we, want, we want that sense that they value us as a person. And, and Jesus valued everybody. You know, when you, you look at his life, I mean, he, he, he was with the down and outers and he was with the up and outers. <laughs> I mean, he related to people of different cultures and uh, uh, which, which we know that we're all valuable because we're made in the image of God. At least that's my mm -hmm. perspective. Mm -hmm. And consequently, if we treat people as persons of value and learn how to express that to them so that they genuinely feel that, uh, we're helping them reach their potential in the workplace and, and in any other, any other relationship. Mm. I, um, I know that there's someone listening to this right now that is, you know, had their heart knocked away by the message that I've been putting out for a long time around leading with love. And there'll be something that you've said today that will convince them that this is the approach they need to take. They're a leader. They're in a position of, of responsibility, a position of influence. They now want to start leading and creating a culture of love. What is the first thing that they should do? Well, I, I would say, you know, for me, the first thing I do is pray. <laughs> God, I need help. <laughs> I need help. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding that I can be the person I'm designed to be. You know, Amen. Uh, we have outside help if we want it, I guess is what I'm <laughs> saying. Uh, I think another thing is, is uh, and, and many leaders do this, is to read uh, key books on, on leadership. And especially the kind of emphasis that we're talking about here, I think that's why this uh, five languages of appreciation in the workplace has been has done so well over the last two or three years. It's been out uh, because leaders are realizing hey, th this can make a real difference, you know, uh, mm -hmm. because there's a whole lot of leaders out there that aren't concerned. You know, one one construction man said to us. I don't care whether my men feel appreciated or not. I pay them well. They get the job done. That's all I care about. Okay, you're not going to have to work for him very long. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, you know, with that attitude on the part of a leader, uh, the people aren't going to, they're not going to feel appreciated. Yeah, I mean, they're glad they, they're getting a good pay, you know, and, and they'll, they'll tough it out until they can find somebody else that will appreciate them more and pay them the same thing. But uh, I think I would say, you know, continue reading and uh, asking, asking other, other leaders, uh, 
who seem to be, you know, prospering or doing well. What are, what are some key things that, that you feel are important here? And then listening to podcasts like the one you put out also. If you, if you, I've always felt if you pick up one idea in a podcast or a book, it was worth reading the book or, or listening to the podcast. So mm-hmm. I think if leaders are open, uh, they, they will begin to pick up on the fact that, that the attitude of service is the most powerful thing you can do to influence people to reach their potential. Mm, I love that. My final question for you is that my ethos is about helping people be always better than yesterday. I'm just curious to know what the phrase always better than yesterday means to you. Well, I think we're never too old to learn. And if we have a learning mentality that I want to keep learning, then yes, today will be better than yesterday. If I ever get to the place where I feel like, well, I've attained it, I don't need to learn anything else, I've learned enough. Well, tomorrow (laughs) won't be better than yesterday. (laughs) You'll actually be living in yesterday. Uh, But if we have the attitude, I wanna keep learning, I wanna keep growing, and I wanna keep serving. Mm. Uh, You know, we're never too old to serve. Uh, I was in Thailand and, uh, doing a conference and I met a couple 85 and 84 years old teaching English as a second language. And I said to them, uh, how do you support yourselves? They said, well, we get a, you know, our social security in, in America checked, you know, and then I get a little pension from my, my former business and it's all we need. And I said, well, how long do you intend to do this? And they smiled and said, <laughs> as long as we have help. We say we have we have no desire to just uh, stop doing anything and go sit in a rocking chair and wait to die. You know, mm. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we have life and some measure of health, and even even if it's a poor measure of health, as long as you're alive and conscious, you have the ability to impact someone else for good. Mm. And I do believe that life's greatest meaning is found in helping others, uh, not in promoting ourselves to a higher level of you know, whether it's wealth or, or status or whatever. Mm. Uh, the most satisfied people in the world are people who give their lives away, uh, helping other people become better people themselves. Mm. I love that. And I think that kind of highlights something that we haven't really touched on, which the, the love language emphasizes that love is a choice. Yeah. It is an intention and a choice. And I just want to say thank you so much for your heart and, and your time for spending it with us here at the Always Better Than Yesterday community. We are massively, massively grateful. And just be honored if you'd leave us a, a final thought from your good self. Well, I think I would just say, you know, if you haven't uh, discovered or read the love languages or the appreciation languages at work, I would just challenge you to do it and, 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 and make your own assessment you know, as to whether this will be helpful to you. And if, it, if it's a tool that will enhance your ability to communicate love to people and appreciation of people in a more effective way. Dr. Gary Chapman, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Good to be with you. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know 
one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.